Hey, thanks for downloading the Cross Defense Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfman. we got three segments with three different questions today. First, we talk about Advent. What does it mean that it's a potential season? Andy Bates wants to know. And then we talk about praying for the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that he'll, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to all who ask. What does that mean? And do Lutherans even talk about the Holy Spirit? And then we talk about the Incarnation. We look at a great St. Augustine quote. And then look at my most favorite Christmas text, Hebrews chapter 10 which is the weirdest Christmas text to have as a favorite, but I'll teach it to you. Uh, thanks for being part of the fun. Here's the show. Hey, welcome to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolf, broadcasting from the tower at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus Steph. Lutheran Church, both in Austin, Texas. Drop in and see us when you're traveling through town. Great to be with you this afternoon, where we take up the fight against the devil who tempts us to theological boredom. And we're going to do that in a couple of ways today. Andy Bates, you know Andy Bates there at KFUO Radio. Andy Bates sent me a question about Advent. We'll try to take up that question. And I've got another question from the email about Acadia or Acadia, what the idea of sloth is in the Christian church. And we also want to talk about praying the Holy Spirit and about the Incarnation. So that is our task today. That's the work that we want to take up, that we want to consider, and, and that we want to do, fighting against the devil who wants us always to be bored with the Lord's Word. I mean, that is the trick, the devil's trick, to take this stuff, which is the best, to take this stuff, which is the most wonderful, to take this doctrine, which is the, the most profound, oh, I don't know, what, what do we say of the Scriptures? It is the, the, the most beautiful of all beautiful things to take that and to convince us that it's what boring, that it's academic, that it's useless or something like that. I mean, it's just unbelievable how the devil would assault us in this way and afflict us in this particular way. So that's what we're going to do here. And that's, I'm glad you're with us. Uh, glad you're here for the hour. If you're interested in more theological stuff, if this is not enough, if you say an hour of cross-defense, what? That's not enough. I need more. Well, you can find a ton more. I mean, you can download the podcast and just listen to it forever on loop. Uh, but you can find a lot more theology at wolfmuller.co. Wolfmuller, that's W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot C-O. What's most recently up there? There's some videos about uh, Luther's idea of Jesus. Oh, yeah, we did a video from last week's show about Jesus and the adultery. That, that video got up there. And one of the nice things about when the show turns into a video, you can see the comments, which are wild. I mean, it's the wild, wild west when you start going onto the YouTube comments. So if you're up for it, I'd encourage you to do that. And we put a Luther, a Luther calendar together for next year. All that stuff is there. Anyway, wolfmuller.co. Visit there. Well, we got a lot to talk about. Let's see. What do we want to start? Let's start with this question from Andy Bates. Let me find it here in the email. Andy sends me a question. He says, hey, if you've uh, you got topics, great. If, you, if not, here's something that I was thinking of last week. Why is Advent a penitential season? And what does Advent have to do with the parousia? Thanks, Andy Bates. I just love saying the name Andy Bates. What better name for their, for radio is there than Andy Bates? So thanks, Andy Bates, for the question. Uh, a couple of things. So we're in the season of Advent now. For those of you who do not know the church year, which is fine, but there's a lot of richness in the, in the church's holidays. And Advent uh, starts on the Sunday closest to, to St. Andrew's Day that normally is the first Sunday in December, sometime around 
November 29th, and it goes, it's the three Sundays before Christmas. So if you want to get there another way, you just start at Christmas and you go back four Sundays. So the four Sundays before Christmas are the, are the Sundays in Advent, and the season there is the season of Advent, and it's a season of getting ready for, for Christmas. One of the most famous things about Advent is the, um, is the Advent wreath or the Advent candles. Some of you practice those at home. Some of you have seen them in church. There's normally uh, three blue or purple candles and one pink candle. Those are lit on the on the different Sundays in Advent. That's just to remind me. I, so I count down this way. I don't say that I've got 30 more de- shopping days till Christmas or 10 more shopping days till Christmas. I say I've got two more ca- candle uh, candles uh, till Christmas time, so that lets me know how much time I have to shop, and and so that's kind of a counting down thing. And I think it's an, it, it's, it's actually it's probably a good indication of what's happening there in Advent is you put these candles up that are not lit, and then you start lighting them. Uh, normally, you you only put candles out if you're going to light them, but in in the church we put candles out even when they're not lit. So even the unlit candles stand for something and so advent starts with this one light and then it gets brighter and brighter and brighter as we get closer and closer to the celebration of christmas now when you when you start really studying advent what's going on in advent and we remember that these themes of the church year get their what their meaning from the scripture text and we start to look at the different scripture texts that are read in the season of Advent, and we realize that Advent is about the coming of Jesus. In fact, that's what Advent means. Advenio in Latin means coming. But we realize that we're not just talking about the first coming, but we're also talking about the second coming and something more. This is really quite wonderful. That we say in the season of Advent that Jesus came when he was born to live and die and be raised and ascended to heaven for us and for our salvation. He came before he will come again on the last day in glory. And that answers anybody's question about the parousia, that, that Jesus is coming again in glory. And we hear about that coming in the season of Advent. And then also we, that Jesus comes to us now. In fact, the first Sunday in Advent often has the, has the text of the triumphal entry of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Can you believe it? He, rose, he, he rides in not on a, on a war horse or on a... Uh, an elephant, which is what I would have done if I was coming in as king. Get me a couple of elephants or a camel or something cool like that. No, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, on the animal of peace. He rides into Jerusalem to be her king, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Jesus goes into Jerusalem on a donkey to show that he comes in peace. And that text is heard on the first Sunday in Advent to indicate that this is how Jesus always comes to us. He comes to us now, even now, with peace. He comes to be with us. According to his kindness, he comes to us every day in his mercy. And how does he come to us? He comes to us in his word. Now, this is so important because, you know, Jesus ascended into heaven, so he's hidden from our sight. And we are tempted, every generation of Christians is tempted to think, well, Jesus has left. He left us. He's gone. And now the Holy Spirit is here or something like that. But Jesus himself said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I do not leave you as orphans. This is how Jesus described his own ascension, so that he continues to come to us now. And how does he come? He comes in his word, 
and he comes in his meal. He comes in his in the preaching of the gospel, like Jesus, or like Paul writes in in Romans ten. He says, "Don't say who's going to ascend up to heaven to bring him down, or who's going to go down to the grave to bring him up from there." But but the word is near to you. It's in your heart. It's in the in the word that's preached. So in the preaching of the word and in the body and the blood, this is my body, this is my blood, Jesus continues to dwell with us. So Advent is about this threefold coming of Jesus, that he came, that he continues to come, and that he will come again. Now maybe a couple other things on that. Because one of the temptations that we have is we go through the, the church year, so we're in the season of Advent, and then we'll have Christmas, then we'll have Lent, that's getting ready for Easter, and then we'll have Easter... And, and and these two seasons especially of Advent and Lent, because they're, they're seasons of preparation, they're penitential seasons where we're asking ourselves, what does it mean to be ready to celebrate the feast? One of the dangers is that we, we try to pretend like, I don't know, this especially happens in Lent, we try to pretend like we don't know that Jesus is going to be raised from the dead on the third day. So we get really worked up and sad about the death of Jesus as if we don't know about the resurrection. Or in Advent, we get really worked up and sad about the, the longing for Jesus as if we don't know the incarnation. No, there's no play acting in the church. I mean, there's no pretending. We don't, we don't go and, and, try to, and try to act like we don't know about these things, like they're hidden from us or, or like they haven't happened yet. No, no, we know that Christmas has happened. We know that Jesus has come into our flesh. We know that God himself now has a body and has blood to, to be crucified and to be spilt for us, that God can die, that, that the immortal one has become mortal, that the creator of all things has, has joined his creation to himself. It's stunning stuff that we consider at Christmas. And we don't act like that hasn't happened. So Advent is not like, hey, we're going to go back and pretend like Jesus wasn't born yet so we can be really surprised. No, 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 no. We know it. But Advent is, is a preparation for the celebration of the incarnation so our lives are always in patterns of of feasting and fasting feasting and fasting it's something that we forget nowadays as our lives become more and more disconnected from the field and the farm and all the food comes from the grocery store and you can always get avocados fresh <laughs> it's one of the things we forget that life comes in seasons, and there'll be a fa there'll be a feast, and to get ready for the feast is the fast. And so Advent and Lent are the fasts for the feast of Christmas and Easter. So in Advent, the the old color for Advent used to be purple, and that indicated this penitential fasting sort of thing. Now I always used to wonder, I don't know if you ever wondered this. I said, why do the Lutherans only have evening meals during the seasons of fasting? I said, how ironic it is that the way that the Lutherans celebrate a fast is they have suppers. <laughs> it's almost like stick it in your face obnoxious. You think we should fast, we're not going to fast. But I realized a couple, of, a couple of years ago that the soup supper is a fast. It's not a not eating at all, but it's saying, hey, instead of having a full plate with a big chunk of meat and potatoes and all this sort of stuff, we're just going to come together and have a humble meal of soup. Soup is the humblest of meals. Soup is the meek meal. I mean, I think that's still kind of true. That's why when you're sick and you don't feel like eating, you get soup. Or when you're recovering from surgery, they give you soup. It's like, it's like, it's food, but it's, it's, you know, if you can drink your food, it's a humble meal. 
some of you are saying, hey, you got you got to cut my soup with a knife. Well, that's okay, but don't bring that soup. But you got to bring a humble soup to the meal because we're fasting and we're saying, "Hey, we're not going to we're not going to sit down and gorge ourselves. We're going to we're going to sit down to eat and we're going to stand up a little bit hungry. We're going to eat a humble meal and we're going to do it. We're going to so we're going to deprive ourselves a little bit while we're getting ready for the great feast of Christmas and Easter." I mean, think about it. Would you what would you think of someone if on Thanksgiving instead of bringing a turkey they brought turkey soup or on Christmas instead of having a whatever you have on Christmas a ham or a roast or something if they brought some beef broth you'd say hey well that doesn't count so so that's this kind of fasting and that and that's helpful for us as we wander through a few of these topics that's helpful for us to remember that sometimes our fasting doesn't mean not eating anything at all but but taking it easy you know it might fasting might be instead of Instead of having a, a glass of wine with dinner, you're having a glass of water. Instead of having a big slab of beef, you're having some broth and some soup. Instead of, instead of having a, a full lunch, you're just having a, a snack or skipping a, a meal here and there. That fasting can, can take all kinds of, of deprivation. And that we continue to fast as Christians, as Jesus instructed, for a number of reasons. To discipline the, f- the flesh, to diminish the preaching of our belly. You know the belly which preaches one sermon over and over, and you never get tired of listening to it, it says, give me some food. And we tell our belly, hey, you are not the only preacher that I have. I have the Lord. So that's one of the reasons why we fast, is to put our belly in its place. But we also fast to give, to give time and attention to prayer, to remember that we live by the Lord's mercy and that we're always, that we're always praying. Now, this takes us right up to the, to the main thing of Advent, which is to say, if Advent is about the coming of Jesus, that he came and that he's coming again and that he comes to us every day, if that's what Advent is about, then how are we to be ready for that? I mean, I think, you know, whenever I call up Carrie and I say, hey, honey, we're going to have some people come over for dinner, you know how she thinks that she has to get ready? She has to clean everything up. Everything has to be made spotless and, and perfect so that it looks good when everyone gets there. That's what it means to be ready. And I think that we are tempted to think the same thing about our own lives. We're tempted to think that to be ready for Jesus to show up means to have everything put in order. It means to, have every, to, it means to be whipped into shape. It means to have everything kind of lined up and ready to go. That's what it means that's what it means to be ready, but that's not what the Bible says. John the Baptist, we, we, we can learn from him, who's the main character of Advent. The one, he, he's the one who's preaching we mostly hear in Advent, and, and he tells us what it, how the way is made ready for Jesus. He, after all, is the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He's the one who's tearing down the mountain peaks and, and raising up the valleys so that there will be a highway flat for the Lord to come in on. And this is what it means to be ready, to be prepared. He's, he preaches it himself. He says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that to be ready is to repent. It's not to have everything right, but it's to know what to do with the things that you have wrong. Not to hide your sin, not to cover your sin up, not to flaunt your sin, not to show off your sin, but to, to confess your sin and to know that Jesus is the one who forgives sins. And that's what repentance is. Repentance consists, remember, of these two parts, contrition, which is sorrow over sin when the law comes along and shows us that we are poor, miserable sinners, that we've deserved God's temporal and eternal wrath and punishment. That's contrition. 
And then the second part of repentance, which is faith. To know that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That Jesus was on the cross suffering for us. That our sins have been imputed to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And that he has suffered for them in our place. That, that he is our Savior, who came to save not the righteous, but sinners. Who came to deliver not the holy ones, but the sinners. Who died not for the perfect, but for the sinners. In other words, for you. And to know those two things, to know your sin and to know that Jesus has, has carried your sins, that is what it means to be ready. So Jesus is coming back. That is, that's good news for you. And it's good news for me. Not because we've, we've done everything right so that we are ready, but because he's forgiven us. He's taken care of our sins, and he has given us repentance, and that is readiness. So that's what we rejoice in in the season of Advent, this preaching of law and gospel, which makes us ready for the Lord to come to us every day, which makes us ready for the second coming, which makes us ready even to hear the word of God and to believe it, to know that Jesus comes to us righteous and having salvation. So there you go. I think, Andy Bates, that answers your questions. We're going to take a break now. We've got so much to do. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll take up the question of what does Jesus mean when he says we should ask for the Holy Spirit, specifically in context of the Lord's Prayer. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about Christmas uh, and some what, what, what the, the gift of the Incarnation means for us as well. So stay tuned. We'll go to a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Cross Defense. Stay with me. World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. March for Life Chicago is planning a massive rally January the 11th. The rally is in response to Illinois becoming an abortion oasis in the Midwest. Among those attending will be LCMS President the Reverend Dr. Matthew C. Harrison. I speak with organizers Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again Saturday at 9.30 a.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Chapel serves those who serve the Lord to be receivers of the Word and to remember where our true help is found. Hear God's Word read, preached, confessed, and sung in the broadcast of Daily Chapel from the LCMS International Center in St. Louis weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. The broadcast of Chapel is underwritten by LCMS International Mission and Ministry to the Armed Forces. On the next Joy, music from Handel's Messiah. It's the season of Advent, and we'll hear a portion of this timeless classic that prophesies the coming of Christ, plus selections from the National Lutheran Choir and the Bach Society of St. Louis. This is Ron Clem. Join me for a special Advent celebration on Joy. Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. on KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. 
If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas, broadcasting from the tower at St. Paul Lutheran Church. It's cool. You know, Luther had the tower. That's where he discovered the gospel. It's kind of cool. He's rubbing on, on Romans chapter 1, trying to figure out this word, the righteousness of God. He said he was grinding it like you grind spices in a pestle. I got a little tower, too. I don't know if I might probably fancier than Luther. It has at least a lot more electricity. I'm going back to Andy Bates because he had another question. What is? Oh, yes, he had a question about Jehovah's Witness. We'll get to that later. Because now I want to talk about this little passage in Luke chapter 11, which we're talking about this week uh, in Bible class here at St. Paul Lutheran Church. We're, we're talking about the Lord's Prayer this week. And there's so much to the Lord's Prayer. I, I mean, there is just... It's... Um, it's almost enough that we have our, our whole lives, we can meditate on this prayer that Jesus teaches us and, and never be done with it. There's so much that he gives us there. But in, after he gives us the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, then Jesus gives some parables to explain prayer. So we have Jesus' disciples come to him, teach us to pray as John taught us to pray. And, and we have a little edition of the Lord's Prayer, Luke chapter 11. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So Jesus gives that little summary of the Lord's Prayer. And then he gives these parables. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, Don't bother me. The door's now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. <laughs> now this is, so Jesus gives all kinds of parables like this when he talks about prayer and the idea of, of impudence in prayer. Of, of Basically, this is what it means, is that we are to... To annoy God with our prayers. Now, I don't, I, I don't think that there's a single person that I've talked to that's going through some kind of distress. And they'll tell me, Pastor, I think I've, I've annoyed God. I think God is tired of hearing me pray. And that's, to, to that I say simply, great, that's exactly what God wants. God want, he, Jesus tells us this over and over again when he tells us these parables. He wants us to be annoying if you do not think that you have annoyed God with the things that you're asking him for, if you don't think that you've annoyed him yet, then you have not prayed like Jesus teaches us to pray. He, he says, he, he gives a picture. Here's a guy, and he, and he has a friend come, and he needs some bread to, to feed his friend. And so he, he goes to the neighbor, and he knocks on the door. Hey, I need some bread. I'm, not, I'm in bed already. Hey, I need some bread. I'm asleep. The ki if I get up, the kids are going to wake up. Hey, hey, I need some bread. I need some bread. I need some bread. Like the kids in the back seat on a road trip. I need some bread. I need some bread. I need some bread. And Jesus says, that's exactly how I want you to pray. <laughs> can, you, can you believe it? I mean, you just think, <laughs> now don't do that to your friend. I mean, don't do that to your actual neighbor. But to God, that's it. 
I mean, he wants us to wear out our welcome. And this is a stunning sort of thing, because even the fact that we could go and stand before the Lord and pray to him is already a stunning gift. I, I think about this all the time, how this privilege that the Lord gives us in prayer and how the command to pray makes us bold. I mean, can you imagine just going and walking into, say, the, 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 you know, the Texas Capitol's right down the street. I'm just going to go and walk into the Texas Capitol, walk into the governor's office, and, and say, now, here's what I need. <laughs> you know, you get, at some point, you get arrested on the way. As you get closer in, the chances of getting tackled by people get higher and higher. And if you imagine going to the White House, hey, hey, President Trump, here's what I need today. What? You know, I mean, you walk through the, you jump over the fence and and that and that's how it is with earthly kings. I mean, you remember how it was with the, with Esther. I, this story is so amazing. How how here's a Hagiwaris who has this big, you know, throne room, and he's sitting there with his on his throne, his golden scepter, <laughs> and there's there's guards lining the walls all the way down, and the rule is if anyone comes in here and they're not invited, then I mean they're kaput. You can't just walk into the throne room to ask the king for something. You have to be commanded to come. And and here they're gonna the king is gonna kill all the Jews, and so they say, Mordecai says to, to Esther, Hey, you gotta go and you gotta pray to the king. And Esther says, You know the rules. If I go in there, I'm gonna get my head cut off. It's gonna be kaput for me. Uh, unless the king raises the golden staff, which you gotta think didn't happen that often. And so Esther, after thinking about it, realizes well. I'm dead one way or another, so I might as well go and and see. I'll go, she says, and if I die, I die. And so she goes in there, and here the guy is holding the sword back, to, looking at the king who holds out the golden staff, and Esther gets to go and make her request. But I think if, if it's that risky to go before the king of, of Assyria, how much more is it dangerous to go before the king of the universe? The king of everything, just a waltz into the presence of God and say, hey, here's what I need today. I mean, if we didn't have the command to pray, <laughs> then this is what I think we would do. This is, I think we'd probably get together as a church, as a congregation, like once a year, and we'd say, okay, we're going to risk a petition. Who wants to do it? Who wants to go and pray? <laughs> and we'd pick the oldest guy, <laughs> you know, the guy closest to death already. We say, okay, what do you guys want to pray for? And we'd get a list of the things we want to pray for, and we'd vote on one, the most important thing. And we're going to send this one guy in to make this single petition, and we're probably going to tie a rope to his leg in case he dies, <laughs> so we could drag him out. I mean, do you do you see that? What a what an audacious thing it is to go and stand before the Lord and tell Him, "Here's the things that I need help with," and yet that's exactly the gift and the confidence that we have when the Lord says, "Hey, I want to know what you need." Pray. Come and stand before me. And keep doing it. Keep knocking. Keep pressing on it. It's really, it's really stunning. And then Jesus continued. We're not, we're not to the point, because I want to talk about the Holy Spirit in prayer, and we're not there yet, but let me go to a couple more verses. Verse 9, I'm in Luke 11, verse 9. Jesus continues, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And then, Jesus, another parable. His parables about prayer often either, the, the picture language is either military 
or family. And here we get the family picture, the, the father giving gifts to his children. He says, For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? <laughs> it's not going to, I mean, that is a bad father. And that only happens once. I mean, you give your kid a snake and you don't have any more kid. If you then, Jesus continues, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now this verse is really quite stunning. Jesus says, okay, there's three, maybe three things about this verse to get to first. Jesus says, first of all, if, this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If you, bad dads, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the good dad know how to give good gifts to his kids? So if you see an example of mercy and kindness in the way that a, a human father treats their earthly son, then you'll see a, a, a little picture of the good gifts of how the heavenly father treats his children. So that, so that Jesus says, you, you can go with confidence. Like, like he says, our Father who art in heaven. We ask him as, as children, ask their dear Father. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is Jesus says, your Father will give them to you. I think it's an important thing to realize. You know, whenever you hear people talk about prayer, a lot of times you hear them say, prayer is, is not about the relation. It's not about stuff. It's about the relationship. We don't just go to God and ask him for stuff. But we go and we talk to him. We go and we spend time to him. We spend time with him and everything else. That is rubbish. We go to God because we need, we are in desperate need. When Jesus, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he doesn't teach us, "Our Father who art in heaven, how are things going today? Nice to see you." No, he gives us stuff to ask for. That we go and we petition the Lord for stuff. Prayer is asking because the lord doesn't need anything from us and it's more blessed to give than to receive and so when the lord's name is blessed it's because he's the one who's giving to us so prayer is going and laying before the lord now we can praise god and we can thank him for things also so not only can we ask for stuff but we can thank him for giving stuff and we can praise him for who he is and 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 thank him for what he does that's certainly part of prayer but prayer at its basic meaning means to petition it means to ask it means to present our own need and that's one of the great things about the lord's prayer is that before it tells us what god wants to give us it tells us what we need now th this is just i mean we're keep wandering off the path here but, but but this is one, one of the other wonderful gifts of the Lord's Prayer is it shows us all the things that we need in this life. I mean, we're tempted to think that, you know, if you go to the biology class or you read the survival books and you think, well, you know what I need is like water and shelter and food. and then that, but, but the Lord comes along and, and Jesus says, you know what you need? you need? You need my name and you need my kingdom and you need my will and you need a bite of bread and you need forgiveness, and you, lead, you need leading, and you need deliverance. You need these things. And these great needs of ours also happen to be the great things that the Lord wants to give to us. So when we go, we ask the Lord for things, and he gives them to us. We pray because we do not have, because we are in want. And the Lord answers our wants and our needs, and he gives them to us. But the, spe the special thing about this verse is that the Lord Jesus says that our chief want, the chief thing that we need, 
our chief lack is the Holy Spirit. And then he gives us this beautiful promise. I mean, this is a promise that, that we want to cash in. That the Lord will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now here's the riddle, and I don't even really know an answer to this riddle, because, because Jesus, it seems like, assumes that in the prayer that he taught us, the Lord's Prayer, that one of the things that we're asking for is the Holy Spirit, as if there was a petition. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, thy spirit come. Something like that. But that's not there in the Lord's Prayer. There's not a prayer for the Holy Spirit in the Lord's Prayer. There's not a specific uh, petition for the Lord's Prayer in this prayer. So we want to ask ourselves, and here's the riddle, what is the prayer for the Holy Spirit? When do we pray for the Holy Spirit in the Lord's Prayer? And the answer, I think, is in every petition, and especially in the first two petitions. That when we pray, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, what we're praying for is God to send his Holy Spirit so that his word would be preached and by his spirit and word the kingdom come. Hallowed be thy name, how is God's name hallowed? When the spirit comes and preaches the word of God and God's name is believed on and trusted throughout the world. Now my, I think the best biblical proof for this is the last, some of the last words of Jesus in Acts chapter 2. When the disciples come, sorry, Acts chapter 1, when the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says to them, look, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has in his own hand, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit is, descends upon you and you will be my witnesses. So the disciples ask, when is the kingdom coming? And Jesus says, no, no, you don't need to know when the kingdom comes, but I'm going to tell you how the kingdom comes, and this is how the kingdom comes. The Holy Spirit descends on you in power, and you preach my word. So wherever the word of God is, and the spirit of God is, there the kingdom of God is, and vice versa. These all three go together. So that whenever we have God's word, whenever we're praying for his name and his kingdom, we're praying for the Holy Spirit to come. And the Lord promises that he will give us the spirit. Now we ask, well, don't we have the spirit? I mean, after all, we're baptized and our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the down payment for the resurrection. Don't we have the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, but the biblical picture is that we're constantly receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and that we're constantly praying for that. Now, it's one of the accusations, and this is an interesting both kind of theological and historical point for me, but it's an accusation that I've heard often, and that is that the Lutherans don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit, that the, that the Holy Spirit is a neglected topic amongst the Lutherans. And if you're Lutheran, maybe you've heard that before, and if you're not Lutheran, maybe you've said it before. You know, after all, we have like the Pentecostal church, which is talking all the time about the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit's, you know, zapping people, knocking them off their shoes and giving them a bunch of words they don't even understand, all this kind of stuff. So so the whole, it seems like the, the Holy Spirit is the the emphasis of the Pentecostal church, not the Luther, the Lutheran church talks about Jesus, but not about the Holy Spirit. But I found something really interesting. I was studying this idea of praying for the Holy Spirit. And with that in mind, I went back to the old 
Lutheran hymnal. And not the real old one, but the one that was published in 1942. If any of you were born in 1942, you say, hey, does that make me old? I'll let you come to your own conclusions. But I was looking at it. It has a section for prayers. Some of you might have this hanging around. And, and there's so many prayers for the Holy Spirit. In fact, almost every prayer is a prayer that the Lord would send his Holy Spirit. It is really, it is really quite stunning. So I'm going to read a couple of these prayers, maybe even pray a couple of these prayers, and I want you to hear how they would pray. And I think this gives us a real profound insight into how we can pray as well. Here's one, a general prayer. O Lord God, Heavenly Father, we give thee thanks that of thy great mercy and goodness thou didst suffer thine only begotten Son to become incarnate and to redeem us from sin and everlasting death. And we beseech thee, Enlighten our hearts by thy Holy Spirit, that we may evermore yield the unfeigned thanks for this thy grace, and may comfort ourselves with the same in all time of tribulation and temptation, through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord. Amen. And that is a beautiful prayer. And this is enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Or look at the next one. Almighty God, who has given us the commandment to pray for the gift of the Holy Ghost, most heartily we beseech thee through Jesus Christ, our advocate, to grant us thy Holy Spirit, that he may quicken our hearts by thy saving word and lead us into all truth, that he may guide, instruct, enlighten, govern, comfort, and sanctify us unto everlasting life. Or the next one. Send, we beseech thee, almighty God, thy Holy Spirit into our hearts, that he may rule and direct us according to thy will, comfort us in all our temptations and afflictions, defend us from all error, and lead us into all truth that we, being steadfast in the faith, may increase in love and all good works, and in the end obtain everlasting life. Or the next one. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of thy tender love toward us sinners has given us thy Holy Spirit, that believing on him we might have everlasting life, grant us, we beseech thee, thy Holy Spirit, that we may continue steadfast in this faith to the end, and may come to everlasting life through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord. Now, I do not know, I do not know if it's true that the Lutherans neglect the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but I know that these guys who wrote these old prayers took this promise of Jesus seriously, that God will give the Holy Spirit, the Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to all who ask. And so I want to encourage you that you would include this in your prayers every day, that you would simply ask the Lord for the gift of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would fill you, would be with you, would come to you, would enlighten you, would sanctify you, would help you, would comfort you in all your affliction. And that when you pray that prayer, you can, you can trust with absolute certainty that the Lord answers it. That's what Jesus promised. The Father will give the Holy Spirit to all who ask. Oh, God be praised for that. Okay, it's break time. Let's go to the break. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, your host here on Cross Defense. And we're going to, last break, it'll be a short one. We're going to come back and talk about what, is, what does this incarnation business mean? What does it even mean that Jesus is in our flesh dwelling with us to be our brother and friend? We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Stay with me. We'll be right back.
What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church free of charge to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Here's the prayer for the children of the church. Most heartily we beseech thee so to bless and govern the children of thy holy church by thy Holy Spirit, that they may grow in grace and in the knowledge of thy word, protect and defend them against all danger and harm, giving thy holy angels charge over them through Jesus Christ thy Son. All these, amen, oh these prayers are just so rich and wonderful. Pastor Brian Wolf, you're listening to Cross Defense. Still... We talked about we asked we answered Andy Bates' question about Advent, and then we talked about this this promise that Jesus gives, prayer for the Holy Spirit. And now we're on to some incarnation stuff. Now pro the problem is I got too much stuff here to talk about, and I don't know quite where to start. But here, this, let's maybe start this way. Let's start with the words. That's always a good place to start with words that become sentences that will then become paragraphs, maybe even whole ideas or arguments. We'll see if we can put that together. First, the word incarnation. The word in means in it's helpful and the word carnation means <laughs> it sounds like the old cowboys and what in tarnation it carne means meat so if you get the carne at the uh taco you're getting the meat taco carne means flesh and so incarnation means in the flesh it means to take on flesh and when we talk about incarnation in the context of the christian church we're talking about this second great mystery of the faith. There's probably, I don't know, there's two great mysteries of the faith. Maybe we can talk about three or four. But we can certainly talk about the two great mysteries of the faith, and they are the doctrine of the Holy Trinity and the doctrine of the Incarnation. The first great mystery is that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the second great mystery is that God is joined to creation in the incarnation, in the person of Jesus Christ our Lord. So that the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Word of God, the Logos, the eternal Son of God, takes upon himself our humanity in its fullness, so that in the person of Christ, God and man are personally united. In fact, that's the language that we use to describe it, the personal union. So just to work on the theological words, when we talk about the Holy Trinity, we talk about one God in essence and being, one God, and three persons. And then when we talk about the incarnation, we talk about one person and two natures, divine and human. So that Jesus is given the name Theanthropos. Theos means God, and or Theos, and Anthropos means man, and Jesus is Theanthropos, the God-man, the human God, that he has a full 
humanity joined to the fullness of the divinity in the single person of Christ. In him was all the fullness of God pleased to dwell. And that is the mystery that we celebrate at Christmas. Now, it is a mystery. The difference between a mystery and a secret, by the way, is that if you have a secret and you tell somebody, then it's not a secret. But if you have a mystery and you tell somebody, it's still a mystery. It means it's hidden. It's beyond the reach of our own reason and capacity to understand. So you say, how could it be that the immortal could become mortal? How could it be that the eternal would have a birthday? How, how could it be that the author of life could die? How could it be that the creator of all could have a mother and a birthday and be laid in a manger? How could these things be? And the answer is, well, God be praised. <laughs> the, we, we, we don't understand them. We confess them. And we sing about them. I mean, that's about all you can do. You can sing about them. In fact, I was thinking about this the other day. That when I mean, whenever the Lord does something in the scriptures, the, the, the His creation, His people break out in song. But I'm not sure that there's a a higher density of song than there is when it comes to the birth of Jesus. I mean, there's a song of Zechariah, the song of Mary, the song of the angels. Everybody's singing around the birth of Jesus, and this is right. In fact, there's probably no better time for singing in the church than, than Christmas time. There's so many Christmas hymns, and it's almost like you need music and the flexibility of poetry to try to mash these great mysteries together, try to understand, or at least press our minds as far as they possibly can to try to rejoice in what the Lord is doing. So I got some... I got some father, church father quotations on the incarnation that we can reflect on. I got this long one from Athanasius, but I think it might be too, too long. Well, we'll see if we get there. But here's one. This is a nice one. This is by, in fact, I've got a bunch by Athanasius on the incarnation, but I've got one here. This, is, this one's from Augustine, St. Augustine. It says this, man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on his journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the helper might be wounded, that life might die. St. Augustine. And that does a pretty good job of talking about what I'm talking about. I mean, this great mystery that life would die, that the healer would be wounded, that the light would sleep, that the fountain would thirst that man's maker would be made man so that he could die. In fact, that, that reminds me of this great mystery in Hebrews chapter 10. This is a good place to go. Because if I go to this, Athen oh, we're going to run out of time. Maybe we'll do some Athanasius next week. But Hebrews 10 is one of my most favorite of all Christmas verses. And it's a really funny verse to be a favorite for Christmas. But it goes like this. If you're reading along, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 5. It says this, 
Consequently, when Christ came into the world, remember that's incarnation, Christmas, he said, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor take pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Now, what in the world is going on in that text? It quotes Psalm 40. Oh, I thought it was Psalm 42, but I don't think that's right. It quotes Psalm 40, verses 6 and 8 there in the text. And, it's, and it gives us, it, as Jesus quoting it, uh, sacrifice and burnt offerings you didn't desire, but you prepared a body for me. Now, what is that saying? Basically this. That the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. They could only preach the taking away of sins, but they couldn't actually take away sins because you needed something more than that. How, af how after all, could, a, could the blood of a bull atone for the sins of a man? I mean, one man can't even atone for the sins of another man. You need a blood of an entirely different sort to be an atoning kind of blood. In fact, it will need to be the blood of God. That's how Paul preaches, by the way, in Acts chapter 20. He, he purchased us with his own blood the, blood, the very blood of God, that God's own blood was spilt for us, and that was the price of our redemption. And so Jesus is saying there, look, the blood of bulls and goats, it couldn't take away sin. That's why you prepared a body for me, so that my body could be a sacrifice. That's why Jesus had to take on our flesh and blood, so that he would have something to be nailed to the cross and buried in the tomb and spilt on the ground. So that from the very moment of the incarnation, it was pressing towards the crucifixion. Some old Luther theologian said the, the manger and the cross were cut from the same tree. They didn't mean that it was actually some tree and they made both things out of the same wood. But the idea is that they serve the same purpose. The manger and the cross are bound up together. In fact, I, I saw a painting of this was done quite beautifully where the star over the manger was, was painted, the, ref, the light from it was in the shape of a cross because Jesus came for the purpose, for the purpose of suffering and dying for us. In fact, I don't think it's an accident that Jesus was born amongst the animals of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a small little town. I mean... It was a tiny little place, about four miles south of Jerusalem. But one of the unique things about Bethlehem was it was great for raising livestock, and especially sheep, and especially for this reason. There's all these caves around Bethlehem. You can go to them now. Like every cave has a gift shop in it, and they sell you little candles. You can go in the hills of Bethlehem, and there's all these caves everywhere, which meant that the shepherds could stay out at night. It would be really weird for a shepherd to keep his sheep out in the in the wilderness at night because that's when all the dangerous stuff can happen i mean in the ancient world the way it would work is you had these pins in places like maybe even if you were wandering around in the wilderness you would have a pin and all the flocks would come into this pin and you'd hire a guy to stay up all night and watch them that's what jesus is talking about in acts chapter or in john chapter 10 my sheep hear my voice because all the different flocks say you have a hundred sheep in a flock but you got 10 or 20 different flocks in a town and all those flocks would come together into this huge ginormous pin and they'd all be there 
protected through the night. And then in the morning, the shepherd would come and he'd call his sheep by name. And all these shepherds would be there yelling for their sheep. And the sheep could hear the voice of their shepherd in and amongst all the other shepherds calling for their sheep. And they would go and they'd follow him. That's the picture. So that the sheep come in at night and then they go out during the day and you walk out to the, you go find some pasture and you eat, which is not easy because it's deserty. You go and you eat, and then you go back into town. But this, you know, this trip out to the to the green grass, this is a long trip. So it would be better if you could keep your sheep out overnight, but that's dangerous. But at Bethlehem, they could do it because they had all these hills all around there, and so they could go and they could they could put them in the pens in the hills at night, and the uh, and the and the shepherds could go and 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 watch them just in the mouth of the cave, and they'd be safe. So that Bethlehem was full of all of these sheep. You got to think, and and that they didn't need all these sheep, but all these sheep were needed for the sacrifices in Jerusalem. In other words, all the livestock coming out of Bethlehem, a, a huge percentage percentage of it, was going to end up on the altar there in Jerusalem. When when you see the manger scene, I want you to think about that. When Jesus is born in a manger in Bethlehem, it wasn't just that he was born amongst animals. He was born amongst animals who were destined to be sacrificed for the people's sins. He was born amongst sacrificial oxen and goats and lambs because that was his purpose as well. He, He... like the sheep that the shepherds were watching at night. He, like the cattle lowing in the manger, he, like the livestock all around there, was going to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. The sacrifice you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me, says Hebrews chapter 10. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That God has prepared himself a body to be sacrificed for us. Blood that would take away our sin. Death that would give us life. A holy life. An eternal life before God the Father in heaven. Now that, now that's a Merry Christmas. Hey, thanks for listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. We'll be back next week. I bet you we'll be talking about some more Christmas stuff then. So make sure to join us again. Check out the podcast if you don't normally do that. God's peace be with you. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Thanks for being part of the fun at Cross Defense here. I'm so happy that you're a podcast listener. This is really, uh, it's a great honor to me 
uh, that you join me for these conversations each week. It's a real privilege to open the Lord's Word and to to look for the joy and the fascination there. There's a lot more theology. I think I mentioned this during the show, but wolfmuller.co is the webpage, so you can go there. That's also the best way to contact me. There's a little button, and you can send me a note. That comes straight to me. So I'd love to hear your ideas, thoughts, suggestions for the shows, anything else that you've got. Uh, it's a great way to keep in touch. So thanks again for listening. Uh, God's peace be with you. We'll talk with you again next week.